My name is Dr. Ruth Mary Allen, and this is my podcast, Brain Health, Unchaining Your Pain. Our world has become a minefield for our children to get the best out of their brain and whole body health, which is why I founded the Wellbeing Warrior Academy to help them navigate this minefield effectively. Right now, if you go to www.wellbeingwarrioracademy.com and use the code PODCAST10, you can get 10% off all programmes. That's www.wellbeingwarrioracademy.com and use the code PODCAST10 at checkout. Now, let's get back to this week's episode of Brain Health, Unchaining Your Pain. Welcome to the show, Brain Health, Unchaining Your Pain, and we are live, and I'm really excited to have Dr. Chen Rong on the show today. Welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be back. I appreciate you. <laughs> I'm so excited that you're back because you've got a new book out now, which is really great, um, which is called The Doctor's Guide to Thriving in Integrative Medicine, The Secrets to a Successful Business without burnout and for those that don't know Dr Ron is the founder of the Texas Center for Lifestyle Medicine which is one of the rare facilities to deliver a functional and integrative medicine for the insured population um, and he is was also the host to the 2022 Better Brain Health Summit which I also had um, the pleasure to be a part of so really excited to have you back on the show and I know you've got so much to talk about um, so much. <laughs> but before we start, I'd love to know um, what are you passionate about in life right now? Yeah, so, you know, one of the things behind and what we've learned ever since the global pandemic started is that there really should be better for uh, better answers for things that um that we're currently getting right and so th this is a global phenomenon so you know even outside of covid like do, should we have better answers for brain health and mental health should we have better answers for other diseases and dis uh, and disorders and stuff like that and honestly what i'm passionate about is a very uh not so great statistics which is this concept of of, of physician suicide so up to 400 doctors yeah a year commit suicide that's more than one physician a day which is shocking wow we have about 55 percent of the physicians leaving the workforce by 2025 55 percent right that's astonishing yep and i didn't realize it was that high actually because you know it they, wasn't they, that high really prior to the pandemic yeah so i'll tell you what even in like 20 2017 was it the um there was going to be a uh 25 percent physician exodus and um and people were like man we're we're really going to be in trouble in about you know 2035 well no that that just accelerated 10 years we're going to be in trouble in 2025 <laughs> you know and so it's like three two years away we're, we're really are two years away so there's a big problem yeah. And uh, and not only that, you know, before the pandemic, uh, just under 40% of the doctors were burnt out. And now we're at 62%. And then a recent December poll came out um, looking at doctors saying, how satisfied are you with the uh, the current healthcare system? And these are for the U.S. doctors. Yeah, sure. 80%, 80 something percent. I forgot what the actual number was, but over 80% of doctors are completely dissatisfied with the healthcare system. Wow. Right. Uh, and I'm sure that's reverberated in the UK and other places as well. And so um, part of the reason that this book came out is, um, is to recognize that a lot of physicians are really struggling. Um, and a lot of physicians don't even realize they're burnt out, you know? And a lot of physicians are feeling a bit helpless within the current uh, social economic and, and medical environment. And it's so it's that's part of my passion is kind of get out there. Right. What do you and, think's got us to this state? What you know, there's clearly been an acceleration because of COVID. But, you know, that's a huge, hugely high in the context of the welfare of physicians. Yeah. 
So what's got us in, it's actually very simple. And I, I don't think I've heard anybody kind of talk about it other than me. And I could be wrong. Um, humans have evolved. Mm -hmm. Humans actually have evolved past what the original medical systems were set up for. That was set up about 200 years ago, right? The modern medical system started about 200 years ago, but then the true modern system really started in the, in the 1960s. And then with the advent of electronic medical records, that just made life a whole lot worse for, um, for physicians because the more data that we track, the more computers that we have, the more control non-physicians and other entities want to have within the medical environment, right? Mm -hmm. And so the tech, our ability to have technology, utilize technology, has surpassed the actual proposed value of what a physician is. Or, or any healthcare professional, not just physician, mm -hmm. any health professional. So um, the evolution hasn't like occurred. I mean, you can go into a doctor's office right now and get prescribed certain things just like you can, you know, back in the early 1900s, like that hasn't changed. Well, what has changed? We have the internet, right? Um, and then more recently, we have artificial intelligence, which is basically going to take over Google search in about a year from now. Mm -hmm. You know, and I saw you post about this because I kind of put a comment on it is that, you know, yeah. the role of the physician hasn't shifted significantly, but the technology yes. has. And so, if, if, I mean, the word doctor comes from the Latin word to teach. Right. And so um, every time I mention that um, patients laugh, <laughs> you know, or just people laugh in general. Like, yeah. OK. Um, <laughs> you know. And part of it, part of the laughter there is that um, the, the value proposition of a physician is no longer one that teaches, but one that prescribes, right? right? And so we have to get back into more of the ancient times where the physicians actually have a community influence. Now, let's yeah. think about that for a second. Who were the original healers within a tribe, right? Um, it's usually the tribal shamans or religious leaders out there that have quote unquote healing potential or healing power. Right. Yeah. And that person commands a lot of respect from, from the community. So that turned into what modern practice medicine is today, which is not really any different from like the hospitality business of service. Right. So it's like a service industry. And so um, that actually can be changed quite easily. Um, if we think about, the role of doctors today being someone filled with knowledge and being someone filled with passion to teach for local communities, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I can go to any city in the United States right now, and if I want to find a place for myself on a Sunday, I can find a church. You know, I'm Buddhist. If I can, some cities I can find temples and stuff like that. You can find synagogues and find all those different things, mm -hmm. right? And it's a, it's a place where there's safety and security and certainty, right, within that environment. A doctor's office should also be a place where there's safety and security, right? But it's not, right? Um, the number of patients actually looking forward to a doctor's visit is probably not that high. Um, within, Which is a real shame because you kind is. of would think, you know, historically, they you go there to for the healing <laughs> powers that they bring in whatever way you know shape that manifests historically but it's yes. kind of manifested in prescribe and forget so you don't get that kind of community spirit you don't get the experience no. that you did historically i know even when i was a child obviously from the uk yeah. we, we had um doctors within the community and your yeah. it was like your community doctor it was your community practice it was much more of a community spirit. And he was your doctor that you trusted and would be your go-to, come around to your house. You know, it was, it was much, they were really part of an integral part of the community. But that's kind of all, certainly in the UK, it's kind of been lost a little bit. We don't have that community practice like it used to be. And of course, there'd be reasons for it. But ultimately, we've lost that personalised touch that you used to have um when when you say from an ancient time we used to have the healers right um that would be an integral part of the community as well well it's, if you think about the power shift you know 17 year old on tiktok with 14 million followers of a whole lot more influence you know on a disease state even right uh than physicians do and so the the, the massive distribution of information 
um, creates a lot of that distrust as well. Mm-hmm. And not only that, I mean, let's think about, let's kind of go back to the AI for a second, right? I can literally ask a robot a specific question. This robot's able to accurately tell me the answer to these questions. Why? Because this robot has passed the medical boards, yeah. right? <laughs> right? This happened a week and a half ago. I know, I saw it and it's like, okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I mean, it passed the, the bar exam for, for legal and it, uh, it passed exams for, uh, for business school as well. So you sort of have this all knowing engine that's there. Right. And so um, now it's really hard to confirm whether the facts, quote unquote, the information that that's spit out by this engine is what uh, is true or not. It's, it's really difficult to, to ascertain. But it's even more difficult for people to trust the medical system is because they have access to sort of all this information right here. Um, and, and, the, and even in science, you know, we know, we know for a fact that some clinical trials were designed just to prove a purpose. And if the trial results didn't prove the purpose of what the, the trial investigator wanted to prove, that trial never gets published, right? So we even know there's a, there's a, there's a bias in science as well, right? And so, um, but so, but the, but the evolution of what healthcare is should actually change, and um, and and there, there's ways to do that even like right now, like as we speak, you know. So what do you what do you think the key changes need to be like right now, as you know, as we speak, because we're at, like this is not going to happen in five years 10 years it's a catastrophic meltdown of the healthcare system that is about to take place in two years time and it will probably hit as it typically does um, when people need the help the most over the Christmas period where you know doctors are getting sick because they can't maintain their job because they're in burnout people are getting sick so the ones that remain uh, you know, and it's kind of an exponential effect, isn't it? When it when it gets to to the meltdown space. So, what what do you think the immediate steps are well, now that we can do collectively? If we see physicians as doctors, and the root word of the word doctor coming from the word to teach in Latin, right? Uh-huh. So let's 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 wipe away the current uh, understanding of what the healthcare system is. What if we own the fact that physicians are actually the teachers, right? Then physicians uh, would look more like people who are religious leaders, who are professors at university, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And so even though we have this information superhighway, people are still going to college and, and high school. People are still going to church and temples and synagogues and stuff like that. Like what, why, why aren't, why aren't, didn't they stop? And why does it, why even now, especially since the pandemic, people are actually seeking even more religious guidance, right? And yeah, becoming yeah. more spiritual there is because at, is because that um, if we don't establish the physicians as the center of certainty, just like these religious leaders are in educational institutions, it's not going to work. So how do you do that? So how do you, how do you establish physicians as center of certainty? Well, the easiest thing to do right now is what if you have a doctor's office and in that doctor's office you have several services you have mm-hmm. one service which is your traditional prescriptive service right what if you have another one where you want to engage with the other patients and what if you want to engage with other patients with the same diagnoses okay right now where are they doing that they have little facebook forums and community meetups and nonprofit organizations right but those aren't physician-led. If you have physicians have these underlying support systems and structures, which we do have now at Texas Center for Lifestyle Medicine, if you have, for example, chronic pain and fibromyalgia, you know what? Hey, Dr. Ron, how do I talk to other people about this? You know, you know what? We actually have Zoom calls just like this with our patients, right? Mm-hmm. And not only can we provide like, education, we can also share what other people are doing for themselves that's working. So a lot of times when I come on those things, it's cool to be a fly on the wall because when someone asks a question, usually someone else is already answering it because their journey is either six months ahead or a year ahead or 10 years ahead, right? And they can also see, tell you like what's not working, right? Mm-hmm. And so that builds the community you know, spirit, 
So, yeah. so we work with a company called Heal Community. That's literally uh-huh. the name of the company, Heal Community, to do this, right? And it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see people kind of progress, knowing that there's a sense of safety and security, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is called a coaching community. So all doctors in practice should have health coaches that, and these coaches are designed to not focus on you have this disease and then this is your medicine. Focus on forget disease for a second. Let's let's take this as illegal. Like, who are you? Are yeah. you a mother? Are you a father? Are you a coach? Like, are you a leader? Are you a caregiver? Like, who are you? And what are the qualities about you that makes you human, Right. And this is exactly what the purpose, right, of church, of temples, this is exactly what the purpose of the Mar is to create that individualized feeling that we have as an identity process. Yeah, rather than a, a disease label, which is yeah. what has become, is put, exactly. put the identity back on the person. Exactly. And so yeah. we actually do this even within like the medical insurance environment. So a lot of times your insurance is actually funding these interactions and these visits. Um, and most doctors don't know that they can, they can even do that within the insurance mm. model. Right. And so, um, and so that, that's like the easiest thing to do uh, flip of a switch. All of a sudden you have an underlying support system. The problem is when you try to teach a doctor to do something like this, it's not very comfortable because they're used to kind of being the hero. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, as all heroes go, heroes suffer tragedies, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And so we have to turn the doctor into a teacher, into a guide, right? And the guide just creates a supportive system. You know, we can hold space for the patients, but we're not tied to the patient's outcome because the patients themselves have to pick up the sword or the lightsaber or whatever and, and march on for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what's great about religious leaders, Religious leaders are not tied to the outcome. They provide amazing guidance, and it's up to the the, the church, church members, temple members, to take that into their own hands, utilize that knowledge. But this is where the practice of medicine should go. In fact, this is how it was a few hundred years ago, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Until the forward. drugs companies kind of almost brainwashed us into the fact that we just need to be drug pushers. <laughs> For, well, for you know the medical profession yes and no so i think it's it's I, th- I think it's far beyond pharma because um pharma was there for a reason because it really shortcutted our quality of life right yeah if you have pain we're going to give you this pill to like overcome uh the the pain but know that you might be dependent on it right so there's a role for pharma that's there Right. Yeah. But, and I think there always will be, but I think the yeah. role needs to shift. Right. So now a lot of pharmaceutical companies are realizing this and they're actually switching to device, which means that they now have monitors like continuous glucose monitors, devices that doctors yeah. can tap into to allow the patients with the healing process. There's a shift within the pharma world. But outside of pharma, there's an invisible entity. Right. And these invisible entities are, are I'm not going to name who they are on this podcast. <laughs> but these invisible entities, and they're in the UK as well, by the way. I'm sure they are. They're actually all over the world. Um, and these entities decide who gets access to healthcare medicine and how much it costs per country, right? This is the problem. That is the main issue right there because there's an economic shift and burden that's, that's there as well. This is why doctors who are burnt out Mm-hmm. are amazing they're burnt out for the right reasons you know and i would argue to say some of them are going to deep depression for the right reasons and mm-hmm. these are actually the people who i want to surround myself with and these are the people who i wrote the book for to say hey you know what it's, it's okay there's burnout because you're a good person right and because you're a good person you see that some things may change because you're a good person the current state of medicine is going in a direction that you don't like because you're, you're a valuable person. And so burnout is an absolute gift if we know how to channel that energy. Mm. Yeah, no, do you know, I really agree with that because it's, it's, it's knowing that you can do what you want to do, but having the infrastructure and the surroundings to be topped up because yeah. often burnout is a consequence if you just keep emptying your bucket <laughs> uh, and then there's nothing more to give. 
um, and nobody's topping it up for you in whatever way you need topping up. And so it just, it, you know, you just run out of gas, basically. Uh, and, and that's when you, same as a car, you just completely burn out. And I, I just want to reflect on some of the, the, the recent survey that's come out from the British Medical Association. Um, it's just it says that seven in 10 uh, or 71 percent of junior doctors in England have gone to work despite not being well enough to perform their duties in the last three months alone. And this is literally landed in my inbox today. Um, And the figures in the latest survey by the BMA of junior doctors in England show that more than three quarters of respondents, which was 78 percent, felt unwell as a result of work related stress in the last year. And that the vast majority of junior doctors, 81 percent who took part in the survey, reported that their health and well-being had been worsened, not improved since 2021, December, which is which is just mad and it's just such a shame because they're the, they're the start of the pipeline, <laughs> you know, when we're already burnt out uh, at the yeah. beginning of a pipeline. Um, so it doesn't bode well for, for the future by any stretch of the imagination. So it's a re- really big problem. Can you imagine going to a doctor's office knowing that there's a 7 out of 10 chance that this doctor is already burnt out exactly are you gonna look forward to that visit no <laughs> right? you so kind of think you're gonna to have to be the helper for the doctor right <laughs> it's almost a role reversal because you kind of would think to go in are you all right doctor is everything honestly, okay that's true because a lot of people feel like they're almost a burden for the doctor being there like hey i'm just gonna do my thing and get out right so you can kind of go on with your day and there's a helpfulness for that as well and and I hear that from my patients seeing other practices too. It's like, yeah. oh, this cardiologist is great, but man, he just looks so burnt out, <laughs> you know? And so it doesn't, it doesn't uh, inspire a lot of confidence, you know? No. And it's and, that trust piece, isn't it? You know, knowing yeah. that when you go to the doctor who is yeah. supposed to be the fountain of all knowledge, as it were, that's kind of what the perception was historically, that they'll have the answer to fix you. But, but the problem, you know, certainly we have here in the UK is they're supposed to magic up the fix in 15 minutes. And it's just not, it's just not possible. You wouldn't have that in uh, any other profession that you'd expect somebody to do a full on, uh, you know, health check. Yeah. <laughs> and in, magic in up the, an answer in 15 minutes. And in, in the US, it's seven and a half minutes is, is average. So seven, yeah. seven and a half minutes, right? So not, not fun to, to go. No. Back. Mm-hmm. no and and not fair on anybody yeah know? it's not fair on the entire um healthcare system so there's there's been a lot of like programs that's dedicated to like doctors you know improving and mental health and and stuff like that and um those programs actually have the right um heart to, with it but they're kind of missing the point right the the, the point is that the doctor's they're not burnt out because they're overworked. You know, there's a lot of people who overwork themselves like myself, but I love it. Right. Because I'm passionate about the absolute specific outcome that I'm trying to, to conduct. Right. Most people are burnt out because there's no fizzle. There's, there's no, there's no, there's nothing. Right. So yes, I get to help my patients here and there. And that's just sort of my life. Right. And so when you kind of go outside of that, um, that's when the danger zone can happen within medical professionals. Uh, and on top of that, we're totally kept silent because if we describe that we have any brain and mental health issues, guess what? Our license may be in jeopardy, right? So, Which is insane. Go, you know, yeah. with, the, with the statistics that 78% are struggling, <laughs> you know, you would think that they would put in place the infrastructure to help people recover rather even, than name and shame them. But and even if they toss them out on the streets. As even if every physician... Even if every physician has complete access to kinds of behavioral therapy and therapists and whatever it is, it doesn't solve the problem that the underlying operations of how the healthcare system is, is, is defunct. And it kind of goes back to what yeah. I was saying earlier is that you have to, you have to uh, revolutionize how, what the role of the doctor um, is within each community. Yeah. And so you know, which which kind of brings me to my big reveal for for the podcast is um, <laughs> that's my school. That's my institute I'm creating. It's called the Physician Transformation Institute. 
um, is to get really cool people um, like yourself and other people get involved in the discussions about, you know, what the roles of doctors are, get nonprofits in on discussion, politicians, uh, senior doctors, retired doctors, you know, we want to have a multi-generational discussion of global health and what it really looks like. And I can tell you in the U.S., the way that we are conducting our affairs at Texas Center for Lifestyle Medicine and what we're doing there is absolutely amazing. You know, we have patients looking forward to the visits, which is really cool to watch, you know. Um, and, uh, and we have a whole amazing support system through Heal Community and other programs that we have uh, available as well through our culinary programs with our chef. And so these are really fun things to do. And we make the practice of medicine fun with an organization. That's what, something I want to kind of reverberate. And that's yeah. the point of my book too, right? So my book is to talk about, well, how do you, how do, you do that? And how do you lead a team? Uh, how do you utilize uh, psychology and the, and the uh, fundamental human element of communication to, uh, to lead a team? Because if you understand yeah. all that, there's no reason for anyone to be, to be burnt out. Can you can you take us on a little bit of your journey to to what led you to the book in the first place? Because obviously you've you know Ooh. you've written it from your yeah. own perspective and you've been on a quite a transformational journey as you set up the practice yourself. Yeah, this book um, <laughs> is emotional for me. Uh, it was so emotional that you know this book, by the way, is part fiction, part nonfiction. So there is okay. a fictional character, Doctor Smith. You talk about Doctor Smith. <laughs> yeah, it's in the book. <laughs> Uh, yes, people that part 90% of Dr. Smith was me. So <laughs> yeah, uh, I, and I had to kind of separate and dissociate myself from the character to talk about the character, uh, better because it was very like vulnerable for me. So that was my compromise in my book. Uh-huh. That's a great way to do it is to step out and yeah. kind of direct your play. Yeah. Yeah. And that is in essence what you're doing, isn't it? Is you're stepping away and then replaying it, but not living it. Exactly. But sometimes we end up living it in the first instance, and then that's really emotionally charged because you're in the you're in the scene, yeah, and you're reliving yeah. it in the scene. And then uh, the great thing that we can do, certainly, you know, we I do this from a trauma recovery perspective, is right. great to see people step out of the scene and yeah. then have the power to control it externally, mm-hmm. and then to manage how they want that scene to play out. Yeah, which, which is very different. And you know, th- this book was very emotional to 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 conduct because you know a lot of the stuff that I've been through, the ups and downs, and developing practice, and and uh, recognizing every one of my 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 uh, my struggles and my faults, my psychology and my previous traumas. I didn't even know I had previous traumas, but I did, right? Yeah. And how that affected the, my daily, uh, the way I daily operate on a daily basis. You know, all that I had to kind of dissociate was from from it, and then I. So the Doctor Smith name I named like five years ago. So this is <laughs> no, this is not me. It's Doctor Smith doing it, right? So, so this is the actual <laughs> Doctor Smith that's in the book that I'm talking about. Um, but the journey there was um, is I've been documenting my processes for for years now, um, developing the practice, and I have these two giant notebooks that I go through and. These um, and and I, I got to give a lot of credit to my um, my life coach her name's Sabine uh, from the Tony Robbins programs. Uh, she's been with me for about four years now, and so um, and so throughout my own like life coaching and journey and business and business coaching and spending about half a million dollars honestly just on education and coaching and brutalizing myself and, and business, all that went into like what this book is supposed to be. And this book was supposed to be a lot longer, but honestly, there's others that are coming out that's going to be more focused on different of the chapters. I wanted this to, um, to, to be out there. And this is a year earlier than I planned, actually. Wow, that's but, amazing. But when I read the statistics about um, the doctors and the physician suicide, I'm like, okay, no, this is out of control. This is the highest rates of physician suicide. I didn't realize the suicide rates were that high. Oh, it's, it's insane. It's that's really insane. That is a creepy just... number. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and now I'm like, okay, well, this this is really how to come out. And the pandemic really accelerated the the launch of what I wanted to put out there, which I'm glad it did because I was holding back for such a long time. And, uh, and there's another book coming out. It's actually, it's actually, the name is called unboxing you. Uh, so 
uh, look out for that one in about six months. Um, wow, that's exciting. You have to come back and talk about that. Yeah, and that's actually about more personal journey of, of self-discovery and utilizing that for, for leadership and business. So, you know, there's um, there's writing that book really took uh, a lot of like revealing to myself the underlying systems and what's created um, and uh, and also took um, a lot of courage uh, for me to um, just, you know, reveal the, the Dr. Smith side of me. Right. And talk about the things that are vulnerable, which I was trained not to do as a Asian immigrant coming from China into the U S right. You're yeah. told not to do any of the stuff like that. So there's a lot of trauma, you know, that that's came from that process as well. And so it took, took a lot and, and I'm getting emotional even talking about it, but that, that's exactly what it took. A lot of like self-reflection really unboxing yourself wow. as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and thank you for sharing that. So, you know, I've had other guests on the show shared a you know, written their own story and started it off as a business book, but actually it became a real therapeutic <laughs> uh, book in its own right. It was Jer Jeremy Delka wrote about, um, mm. you know, without, uh, without a plan was his, his book um, on his success story there. And I think we, we underestimate often, don't we, how emotionally charged the whole journey is until yeah. we go back and, revisit that roller coaster <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and all of the all of the turns and the and the hoops that we have to jump through or whiz through uh to get we work where we want to go and it's never a straight line <laughs> it's never a straight line but you know what was the most unexpected feeling about this book is that now i have it in front of me in like full color it's downstairs and i'm writing notes for people now i have it in front of me I think for the first time ever, I'm celebrating myself. I, I've never allowed ah. myself to celebrate myself, you know? And I'm just looking through. I'm like, this is not a thin book. It's 200 something pages. And I'm like, wow, this is, I'm just, every time I flip through, I, I just land on the page. I was like, man, this, this sounds like a smart guy wrote it. This is me, you know? So it's like, it's like never, and this actually happened yesterday where I came home from Costa Rica and I, and I found the book there and I'm like, okay kind of open it I'm like, man a lot was done you know i gotta celebrate myself and i and i intend to celebrate myself a whole lot more because i gotta be able to show my family my daughters especially I have my three daughters that daddy's it's okay to kind of celebrate yourself and what you've done yeah. right and and pat yourself on the back which is kind of the opposite of my childhood upbringing yeah so. and I, I think that's a really important point isn't it because we can so easily get lost in the in the journey that we don't celebrate the accomplishments that happen on the journey. We know we don't celebrate, you know, if you think about climbing a mountain, you don't celebrate getting to a certain part on the path because you, yeah. you just keep going. And it's so important that we do because then we, when we celebrate, we kind of pause, don't we? You get to look at the view yeah, and see what we've accomplished, which obviously the book has helped you do because you've got to go and look back on your journey and, and look at look at the view. So what, what was the hardest part in, in the context of you establishing your practice? What were, what were some of the hardest aspects of doing that from a functional medicine perspective? Because obviously you, you set it up, yeah. but to serve the, to help people with insurance as well. So it, it wasn't just kind of completely private, like some practices too, and it's pay as you go. Yeah. So I kind of lied to everyone in the beginning and told them I'm setting up a private practice. Um, I actually had no intention of setting up a private practice. I just had an intention to mess things up a little bit in the world of uh, practicing medicine. It's to say that I myself, I find this type of medicine to be very refreshing. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it um, within the insurance population and also be more knowledgeable about it. So what's challenging is I realized that I had to know way more about these coding systems than the actual coders themselves do, right? Yeah. And now that I'm, I consult for different large companies and systems, and I'm, I'm as I'm speaking, their coding personnel be, gets a little sweaty. Uh, one, because they know that I know what's going on, and two, half the stuff they haven't even heard before, so they have to kind of like go into the books and stuff like that, right? And so I kind of became uh, uh, an ultra expert and I, my, my brain is swimming in like C codes and C codes, codes and reimbursement <laughs> processes. And 
and uh, it's it, I've turned into sort of a, it's an engineering mind, right? Um, so that was the hardest, and it continues to be hardest because every year they change. Like 2023, yeah. brand new things that are there. So between November and, and January, I get I get super obsessed about what these are, and there's hundreds of things that are, that became different. Um, but I what I do is I translate that into action, right? Uh-huh. I'm an action guy, so I'm always an action guy. I'm gonna translate this into action. What are some actions I can do? And, uh, and so that's the, the purpose and design of the, of the practice. I, I never meant to do just a s- small practice and private practice and just kind of call it a day. That was never my intention. The other hard part is um, there's a lot of guilt that comes with doing this because... What, what, what's the reason for that? I have a family and there's a lot of uncertainty when you're the trailblazer, right? Yeah. And thank God for my family because they're um, they're so supportive, you know, and uh, and a lot of sacrifices really had to be made big financial sacrifices too. now. If I was sticking, if I actually stuck with my previous practice and doing the thing I'm doing, I probably have about, you know, six, seven million dollars more in the bank at this point. Right. Wow. But that's not the point. And the point is money's worth nothing if you end up being burnt out because you have it. Right. And so, um, and so what I really want to demonstrate from a family unit is that we have to have a continuous pursuit of, of happiness and betterments, right? And that's sort of the message we went on. But there is an underlying tinge of guilt. I mean, it's still there even today that, oh, you know, could have had nicer things and stuff for, for my daughters and big college funds and stuff like that, right? Um, and so I learned a lot through the process and that guilt, even though it continues to be there, it's a lot less because now I'm involving my family. Like mm-hmm. I, had, I had an online course for integratedpracticebuilder.com and guess who's on the first video is my daughter. Like, hey, yeah. You know, and so there's a lot of, uh, I'm now including them now that a bit older, I'm including them into the journey and they see me talk on stage, right? And if they're not there, I'll FaceTime and on stage and tell people to say hi to them, like live, right? And uh, and now they're gonna come with me this year on my on my on my international tour. So they're gonna and and my daughter now now loves like just speaking to children and stuff like that. So that's there and all that's good, but there's a there's a trauma that existed that created the guilt. I'm not quite yet over with, but that's what the guilt is from. Yeah, and I think that. You know, a lot of people have that, don't they, in the context of growing something when they're they're losing something that they could have had. Yeah. But uh, uh, and it's very easy psychologically to focus on the loss because that's where we default psychologically to I could have had this, rather than to focus on the gain of what you've created that you would never have had if you'd continued on the part. You know, when you focused on the happiness. And, you know, life life is more than just money. Money is great, mm-hmm. but you can also be incredibly unhappy with lots of money, as we see so many people. Um, and you you can't get time back for for your kids. You know, you can't. No. You you can't you can't apologize. You can apologize, but you know you'll never get that back. And and they'll never. You know, it it's hard to work appreciate somebody who's constantly burnt out and and overwhelmed and stressed and everything which is you know the situation for so many people it's you know it's hard on everybody isn't it when you're in that position because it doesn't just affect you it it affects the whole community around you um and we forget that yeah and and we see patients being burnt out right and what's great about this whole process is um you know, I, I've been through functional medicine training and stuff like that, but even a lot of the functional medicine doctors, integrative health doctors, they're just as burnt out as conventional ones. And mm-hmm. and it's because um, I realized that it's not about the type of medicine that we practice, that we're training. It's about collaboration. So it's a, it's a collaborative effort, right? So, you know, last Friday, we, I, we invited 32 doctors to come and tour our facility and th- multiple different specialties, told them what outcomes were all about. And so that's what makes it fun is that um, we all can actually work together. It doesn't have to be a lot of, you know, resentment and bashing, which I do see now a lot of that on social media right now, especially with physician accounts. 
And it doesn't have to be that way, right? It's all about like what's best for the community. And we're allowed to have different opinions, you know? We're 100% allowed to have different opinions. And I have nothing wrong with that, right? Mm. Um, but, you know, a tolerance for, uh, for, for, a tolerance for things that don't agree with us have gone down as a, as a human race just because of the, the extent of social media. And honestly, with artificial intelligence, it's going to get a lot worse. Hmm. I think that's really interesting you say that because you know the the medical profession you know we had um, uh, Dr Alexander was on the show from the UK who who experienced burnout and he talked about it on the on the previous episode of the show Hmm. and it's a he's a he was a pediatrician and he talked about how it's such a competitive environment Mm -hmm. where everybody's kind of and I've seen it in conversations I've had with people stateside as well, not yourself, but uh, that kind of this desire to put others down, to lift themselves up, mm. rather than just acknowledging that everybody's entitled to having a different opinion. Yeah. And that's okay. But you need to stick with your opinion and stick with your approach that you're going to take based on your opinion uh, and not close the doors to other perspective I think that's what I've really learned in the journey that I've been on obviously coming from a coaching perspective yeah it's historically I was a physicist and it was black very black or white (laughs) it's either (laughs) right or wrong that's how my brain used to work but I've now been able to kind of embrace the fact I'm not going to know everything and not every answer there's not an answer to everything either we don't fully understand how the whole body works because it's such a complex system um, uh, and we need to embrace new technologies and new capabilities um, as part of that learning journey and not be dismissive of new ideas that it's so easy for for some people who get stuck in that traditional rut um, to to be stuck in um, still. You know, that's a good point because I think in all of medicine, there's um, a pattern Mm-hmm. And this pattern is that we as doctors don't have enough faith in our patients to heal. And that needs to change. Um, and, and a lot of times people come on and, and I do a lot of telemedicine. So even today, they're just full of like nervous, like anxiety. And I'm like, hey, just, just stop for a second. You know, I'm like, you know, I got I to tell you, I have a lot of faith in you to, to change. Right. I have a lot of faith in you that a lot of this can actually be resolved. But I want to make sure that you actually enjoy the process and the journey because at the other side, you're going to be telling people about it. Right. So you got you got you got to be able to smile through it. Right. And then they become your disciples kind of thing, <laughs> don't they? I know that's probably not the right word from a Buddhist perspective, but, you know, yeah. they, beca- they, they become your your community of followers uh, and the sharers of the learning that you've shared yourself as the teacher, and yeah. so it becomes self, um, self not self fulfilling. I can't think self supporting because everybody's kind of supporting each other. Um, That's correct, and and this is sort of the definition of unconditional love, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I'm gonna I'm going to display my unconditional love and respect for you, and it's unconditional. So no matter what happens and what you choose to do, the support and the love is going to be there. Mm-hmm. And physicians aren't taught to speak in the language of unconditional love because they actually don't have a lot of unconditional love for themselves, and it really starts mm-hmm. inwardly, right? So as part of my new institute, the Physician Transformation Institute, it starts with this like we have yeah. to create that for ourselves and that's the whole point of my next book unboxing yourself like yeah you have to unbox yourself see what's inside but while you're unboxing just like those viral tiktok videos you have to be like have a sense of wonder what you actually expose about yourself like it's a new toy right and there's thousands of boxes to actually unbox for ourselves even on a daily basis and that's what creates that joy and so for medicines to change the way that physicians and healthcare professionals view themselves have to fundamentally shift as well to allow for them to be a coach and not to be someone else's hero because that person, that patient is the hero and all we are are coaches and we're guides. Yeah. And I, I think that's su- such an important point because we kind of have this heuristic effect, don't we, where we think we're the hero of the journey and actually we become our own worst enemy yes. rather than the hero. Uh, and then we ser- we end up serving nobody. 
that's true because we can't yeah because we we become an enemy to ourselves Mm -hmm. rather than the hero Mm -hmm. um uh, and it uh, i think it's you know going back to your point of collaboration is if we truly want to you know lift people up you're not going to do it you're much better just like a stretch having many many hands on the stretcher to lift someone up to a new level than trying to bear the burden all by yourself because you tire out very quickly so quickly it's 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 hard to get up when you tire out too right right (laughs) it's like carrying somebody on your back in a fireman's carry and hoping that you can go the whole journey and you just literally can't yeah exactly you know Mm -hmm. um so i love i love that what would what would your advice be to you know we i know we started off with the the burnout piece is uh, any physician or junior doctor or uh, anybody who's absolutely knows they're either burnt out but they want to stay in medicine let's start with that one what would your advice to be to those people as to how how can they get themselves away from the hero status into that kind of collaborative space where they can share the burden across different professions yeah, so glad you asked. So for those, um, and I'm going to speak to the doctors all over the world here. Um, so my suggestion for the doctors is before you make any decisions that's super analytical, uh, make the decisions that have absolute zero regret, right? And my sister just went through this. Um, um, if you think about every decision you have in life, every action you have, like what is the one thing, if you decided between two or three things, like what is the one thing that I have absolutely no regret? Pick it. Like don't even look back. Just just, just pick it. I have no regret doing this. Awesome. I'm going to do it. That fundamental shift in your brain allows you to advocate for yourself and, and maybe your family first, right? So pick it, no regrets, kind of do it. So when I started doing this with my wife, um, you know, a, a lot of her stressor just kind of, kind of, kind of went away. So every decision we have was like, "Hey, honey, like, what is this one decision with no regret?" I was like, "Oh, this, this one. Like, cool, let's go with it." She's like, "All right," <laughs> you know. She's, the, she's one of the most indecisive people in the world, you know, especially when it comes to restaurant picking. Um, and so that's my that's my one advice that I want everyone to kind of take away, not just doctors, but everyone, but especially doctors, right? And the second thing is it's really overwhelming um, when there's no structure that's set up for you. Think about it. We're physicians. We went through school, more school, even more school, residency, fellowship, you know, all the stuff like that. Um, and it was all structure for us. And at the end of it, we're supposed to be a widget that has been produced that's supposed to serve a purpose, right? But then if you feel like the purpose is no longer, uh, there's no longer uh passion in the service so one will say that hey i'm either going to quit being a doctor and there's nothing wrong with that or i'm going to be a doctor but i want to serve a different purpose so for those of you who wants to stay being a doctor then i would highly suggest you uh come on to the physician transformation institute actually this year it's our inaugural year so we we have our programs launching in may it's for a full year but in May, um, we have a Houston and Costa Rica event. Uh, and the Costa Rica event is actually an immersion. So no phones because no, there's no signals there. There's no laptops. We do a full immersion on unboxing yourself. It's the unboxing yourself event, right? We go into the energetics and spirits. We go into uh, talking about 5,000-year-old uh, physician traditions and, and Ayurveda medicine and Chinese medicine and stuff like that. So we go through a full like 360 discovery process with business and entrepreneurship training too. And so um, this is for those physicians who really want to do that. So if you actually go to integratedpracticebuilder.com, um, you'll, uh, I'll have a uh, banner that's up there. If you're watching this live, I, I didn't make it yet. So if you're <laughs> watching this on replay, that you can go ahead and, quit and go to integratedpracticebuilder.com. Uh, and see exactly what that's all about. But it is, um, but it's at the end of May to the beginning of June. It's for uh, a little over a week. And that's exactly what it's designed to do. And um, the other thing is that if you can't make that, it's totally fine, wherever you are in the world. If you can't make that, understand that if you get my book, which is the uh, doctor's guide to uh, thriving integrative medicine, even if you're not integrative medicine, 
you get my book and kind of follow the story of Dr. Smith, there's an underlying thing in there that underlying theme in there that you can every doctor can actually identify with what Dr. Smith is going through, no matter what profession uh, you are, because there are three levels of burnout, right? Level one is you're burnt out in school, and but you always know that you're going to be graduating and doing great things, right? So that's level one burnout. And level two is that you finish school and your residency training, you're a young doctor, junior doctor, and you're doing it, doing it, doing it. It may be exciting at first, but all of a sudden it's not. So that's level two burnout. Level three burnout is when you narrow your focus on things you want to do. You become an amazing physician and you've written books and you've done lectures. I'm talking about myself right now, right? And you've done, uh, you, you speak to, you know, government institutions on political change against, against medicine. And the level three burnout is basically, why am I still burnt out when all this is happening? Well, for one, externally, everything looks great. Mm-hmm. And it's because I don't have an engine to reproduce my philosophical thinking, right? And so that's mm-hmm. where, where I, I was right before I kind of wrote the book. Now that the book is out, I can kind of celebrate the process. Mm-hmm. So the Physician Transformation Institute, is my engine uh, to deliver that sort of a step-by-step process. Mm. I, I love that. And I think it, it it's great the way that you break it down into the three different levels because people can really relate to the one that they sit in um, yeah. as part of that journey. And um, I'm really curious bef- before we close the show, because I think this really important yeah. topic is how do we bring the invisible people or elements of the system that are holding the profession back from doing the work that it used to do really well um, and delivering a service that is better than it is currently without Mm. the burnout um, wrapper that we've currently got. That's like another three hours of a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um. You know, because it's not, it's it, you know, it, it's not the people in the system. Yeah. It's the system that's causing, you know, it's a combination, isn't it, of the people not being able to manage to manage the complexities of what's going on, but it's the system that's created the problem to a greater extent in the first place, and they're just the victims of of a broken system. So I'm curious, how do we fix that broken system? Um, or where do we start? I kind of gave up on the fixing part, but um, I, I, this is the way I see it, right? So that system was needed for us to wake up, right? Yeah. And so I, without that system, I wouldn't be doing any of this stuff, right? Sure. And so uh, I appreciate the system, and I also appreciate knowing what doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. And part of the whole Physician Transformation Institute is to know, we well, we kind of know exactly what does work, so why not just do it, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's turning people into, like, doers rather than just, you know, bystanders, right? But that requires a unit to do so. Because if one physician does this, like myself, I've been doing this, uh, I carried a whole lot of risk, and I still continue to carry a whole lot of risk, right? Mm-hmm. And so I have to be immune to that. But what if there's a whole group of us? What is if there's a global movement to do so, right? And that's a different story. And what if there's a space like in Costa Rica, like I made, right? What if there's a space in Costa Rica where we can kind of go in and have zero, zero um, uh, filters, right? We just kind of talk to each other about what the system looks mm-hmm. like. And what if we get some of the biggest influencers in health and in social media? What if we get some of them to join in on the actual discussion with no filters, right? And say, hey, what happens stay here? This is exactly how I would see the system uh, can be. Uh, and what if, what if we have all that, right? Then it becomes something very beautiful. And what if we have all these senior doctors, veteran doctors, retired doctors come out and say, hey, I don't, I, I don't want to filter you. You tell me if I had to do it again, what would I have done? And you tell me now that we have this group of people, like what would you do with this energy? And what would you do mm-hmm. with this momentum, right? And I think that's, that's what's needed. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. And, you know, there's certainly here in the UK, and I know there's a growing presence in the States, is the Institute of Functional Medicine, and we've got the British Society of Ecological Medicine, all non-profit, and um, the College of Medicine and Integrated Health here in the UK that's really trying to change the status quo as to how um, 
how the UK system operates and, and, and building that kind of community of people to share and learn from each other. And in fact, I was at an event on Friday is, you know, to learn about how, how can we deliver more effective care from an integrated perspective and, and building my uh, community of experts. So it's not, it's not me because I can't carry the burden from a functional med- medicine perspective. I have to find other people um, to do to do the medicine side of life. So I think it's certainly a movement that's growing, and it it just needs all knitting together, doesn't it? So that we we are create the glue to, to hold it together. Yeah, I'm, I'm... And, to, and to ride the storm. Exactly. And that's that's my expertise. I'm good at knitting that together. Now, I can't knit in real life, but I can definitely, you know, <laughs> uh, honor honor that system with the proverbial knitting of the of, of these people together. And so so what what would your um what would your one piece of advice be to anybody who is who wants to start up a functional medicine practice and is kind of like just stuck or nervous in the context of working yeah. with the health with the insurance system approach that you have yeah step one is delabel um you know delabel means that don't don't consider it like a functional medicine practice it's a practice and this practice represents your core values my one piece of advice is to write those core values if your staff doesn't matter if it's front desk janitor whoever it is if your staff doesn't know your personal core values there's something wrong with your system right why do physicians have so much turnover? We actually talked about this in my, in my coaching group. Why are there so many turnover right now? It's because if your staff doesn't know your core values, that means they, they can't see you as, as a leader. They see you as a demander. You're demanding certain things, right? Yeah. And people want to be led. Or they want to be inspired. They don't want to be demanded of certain things. And so, um, so not only should your staff and uh, know your core values, your family should know your core values too. And a lot of times with physicians are so analytical, we're so damn analytical that we don't like to talk about stuff like this. Right. Um, you know, if you value honesty, then you say, Hey, I value honesty. That's our number one core value. Right. And some people are like, well, that just seems like, of course, like, why wouldn't I, like, why would I write it down? Is because if you, if you just like when we see in patients, you don't document it doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. You never did it. The same thing with this is if you don't document it and have people train in it, like it doesn't exist. And I, do you know, I think that's such an important point in the core values because yeah. it, do, it doesn't just necessarily pop out of your head because um, there's, <laughs> there's loads of different values that you may relate to um, and you have to take the time to work out which ones are truly at, at your core because I kind of think it's like your, your compass in life. It, 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 if you're if you're navigating and you're and you're going in the direction of travel that you want to, you're in alignment with your core values. When when stuff feels off, you know you kind of have this off feeling, and it's nothing seems to be working right, or someone's really niggled you, or something's really niggled you. It's often because you're in conflict with your core values, whether you're in conflict internally, yeah, exactly, or conflict externally with somebody else. Exactly. But you need to know what they are to understand whether is it an internal conflict <laughs> or is it an external conflict? And right. you need to know. <laughs> right. And, and when someone in, within your system is violating your core values, if you never told them what your core values is in the first place, how will they even know? Like, how do you even behave that as, as, a, as a leader, right? And it's never too late. If you've never done a core values before, which I just coached a physician been practicing for 33 years, never wrote down any sort of core values. And I had him write it down. And uh, honestly, about a third of his staff kind of left after that. Wow. And then for me, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's like, sorry. But for him, it was like, thank God. <laughs> because <laughs> they, were, they were creating a toxicity within the workspace, right? Yeah. And then, and then he was actually able to run better and leaner. And he didn't have to replace the staff because the other people naturally did more. Yeah, because they knew what his values were and they could be in alignment with it rather than in conflict to them. Exactly. And now he's so happy going to the office. Before, he was kind of walking the eggshells around three of his staff, right? And, uh, and, and, like, and this is what's great about stating your core values, that you, you know who's going to be you know, on your team and who's not, right? And the people who aren't, they'll self-select out. 
And that's awesome because you don't need toxins in your life. That's what makes brings a lot of burnout. You know? I do you know I absolutely love that. And I totally relate to it because I use core values. I did when I first went through my roller coaster journey and um, when I was working in the corporate world, it's the core value exercise that I did with my coach, which I now do with my clients, um, that brought to the fore that I was in the wrong place. Oh. Because I was in the company that I was working for did not have any alignment to my core values they weren't demonstrating the values mm. that were necessary for me mm. um to to be seeing in that business and and it was clearly they were never going to demonstrate my primary core value yeah um and the only you know I couldn't fix the couldn't change the environment so I had to change the environment I was in that, that was the only solution and and I think it's such a fundamental activity for for anybody to do actually mm-hmm and it's it's fun to do with your family like i did it with my daughters and um it's it's just it's it's so much fun it's cool because they remember them you know yeah Um, the two that that always come up and that is uh one of them is uh we don't carry resentment it's one of the core values right Uh and so um and my daughters will kind of call me out sometimes if they're seeing it and they'll call themselves out too which is kind of cool and another one is uh we build bridges we don't burn them right that's these are two or two fundamental core values so these are the ones that always come up whenever there's any sort of altercations within a company, within family and stuff like that. Right. And it's really cool because like stating these have really allowed me to have a deeper relationship with the people that are around me. And, uh, and it's weird because these are kind of the opposite things of my upbringing and for, from a family who's been through really tough times and fight or flight war survival times. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 um, and because I'm able to kind of state them, uh, I, I know that some members of my family aren't really comfortable, like seeing the effects of what happens just because of the fact that there's, there's almost this discomfort, this palpitation that exists when we speak emotions and feelings, you know? Yeah. And so, and I'm okay with that because now, now, but it actually creates more meaningful relationships. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. And, you know, as you know, feelings is the first pillar of brain health from the process that I use. And it's it's so, so important um, that we are that we have that permission to express ourselves in whatever way we feel is appropriate um, to to understand, you know, when we're on a roller coaster, that we know what emotions we're we're having. And, you know, going back to your earlier statement is that we're leveraging the power that we have to, to help us right. uh, and not to burn ourselves out. Uh, and we can't do that unless we take the time to do that deep inner work. And like you say, unbox yourself uh, and understand what, how you're made up inside mm-hmm. uh, and what really makes, makes you tick. I've absolutely love this conversation. We're right on the time. How yep. can people get hold of you, uh, Dr. Ron, and learn more about what you do, your programs, the transformational programs that you talked about earlier? Yeah, so I would love for people to kind of reach out and hang out with me on social media. Um, this is my name, Chengron, MD. Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, every uh, YouTube, actually, on the platforms as well. Um, follow me um, there. And if you're a doctor and you're on LinkedIn, send me a message. I will, yeah. I will reply. <laughs> so. And I know we've had Dr. Echo on here. She's, she mess- messaged us as well from the States. So she's also mm-hmm. been on the show. So hopefully you guys can connect and if you're not already connected i'll connect you up after because she's uh paving a new way herself that's from the experience that she, she's been through so do encourage anybody uh who's a physician if you're a junior doctor um you want to learn how you can really transform your practice and transform your life uh and and live a life that is one that focuses on healing and doing really what you want to do without the risk of burnout then make sure you do connect with dr ron and his social media platforms and join his transformation program um dr ron it's always a pleasure connecting with you i absolutely love these conversations thank you um so much for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom uh and and sharing your journey it's been great and i hope to connect with you again for the next rendition of Brain Health on Chaining Your Pain. Absolutely. It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. 
you're most welcome. And remember, everyone, this show is all about brain health, unchaining your pain. You are not stuck with the brain you have, particularly those physicians out there. You have the power uh, to change it. And Dr. Ron's been here to show you how. Thank you. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to like and share this episode and leave a review on my website or on Apple Podcasts. If you're looking for opportunities to optimise your brain health or unchain your pain from a past trauma, make sure you visit my website www.ruthmaryallen.com and use the code PODCAST10 at checkout to get 10% off all programs. And always remember, you are not stuck with the brain you have. You have the power to make it better. You have the power to unchain your pain and optimise your brain power and performance so that you can win back energy and time doing what you love.